0: Hey, we're so glad you decided to join us on YouTube. You're about to hear a message from our teaching team. We hope this message helps equip you for freedom and to find purpose in your everyday life. We stream our online services every Sunday. You can visit us at freedomhouse.cc live to connect with us and become part of our online campus. We know that you're gonna enjoy this message you're about to watch. Hey, what's up, Freedom House? Y'all look great today. Look at your neighbors. Say, I'm glad you're sitting by me. I'm glad... That you're sitting by me, and it took at it to your other neighbor, say, "Hey, let's have lunch today. Come on, let's have lunch today. I'm paying. How many of y'all enjoy Bob McCall? Give it up for Bob. Wasn't that great? I get fired up. I might have to double tithe just because, you know, like give 20 percent. Just, I mean, it's crazy. Just crazy. He's awesome. Hey, my name is Troy Maxwell, and uh, my wife and I are the senior pastors here. We are one church, many different locations. Uh, my wife is speaking at the South End campus, and uh, one of our great teaching team, Justin Griffith, is speaking at our Lake Norman campus. And we also have all of our live streamers that are joined with us, church. And we give them a big hand for being a part of our services all over the country. Uh, now that we have two services on Sunday morning, now we do live stream on both of those services, live, live, live. So whenever you're traveling, make sure that you. Uh, tune in and connect your family, vacation, whatever, whatever. Maybe you're just working and you need a, place to, uh, need a place to worship just in your hotel room. Just pull us up and we'll be there right there in your hotel room. Hey, one of the things I want to get into real quick before I start this message today is I want to talk about you plugging into Freedom House Church. I believe and we believe that it's death and life what church you're connected to. I really believe that. I thought. For a long time, as a young person, before I really got involved in ministry, before I be- really became saved, I think I was about a third saved. I wasn't quite all the way there yet. And uh, I-, I thought all churches were the same, I really did. And uh, I- so I would go no matter where, I went with my grandparents to their church, and then I realized that there are what are called life giving churches. A church that doesn't just exist for the sake of being a building where people come to, but a church that actually draws people in for the sake of reaching the community. And one of the questions that we've always asked ourselves at Freedom House is, we want to be a church that if we did not exist, we would be missed. And I want, to, I want you to think about that in regards to your role right here, because you have gifts, you have talents, you have a purpose, you have a calling. And the greatest way, and I believe the only way that you're going to discover what those gifts are, what that talent is, what that purpose is, what that plan is, is by connecting to the local church. We have a next step called Get On Track. Get On Track. Connect, Grow, Serve. Three classes that we encourage every person who wants to be a member, who wants Freedom House Church to be their home. Now, I know many of you have not gone through those classes. You have not decided, hey, I want to make church, I want to make Freedom House my home. Take your family through those classes. They happen at our eleven fifteen service every single week. You could start them today. You don't have to do them in order. You can do them randomly. We're even going to have a fast track. You know how you go to Disney World and you get buy one of those fast track passes? We're going to have one of those coming up where you can nail all three of them in one, just one day, just knock them all out. Uh, but we want to encourage you to take that next step, and get plugged into the church. The Bible says, plant yourself in the house of the Lord and you'll flourish, you'll flourish. Everybody shout flourish. Flourish. Hey, before I do this, I wanna just pray for a couple people before we get started. If you own your own business, I want you to stand up. If you uh, are a person who is in sales, I want you to stand up. If you're in the real estate arena, I want you to stand up. Because I felt like during prayer today, uh, during worship today, I felt like God wanted to lift you up. It's a tough economy right now. A lot of stuff is going on. And so I want to pray God's favor and blessing over your business and all that you do. Would you just lift your hands up to heaven? And if you're around somebody, would you just reach out and just pray for them as well? So Father, I thank you for every person that owns their own business, Father. They've taken a step of faith. They've stepped out in, in complete trust of you, God. And so Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I just pray your favor, favor of God over their businesses. Father, I thank you for new ideas, I thank you for new customers. I thank you that, that amidst everything that's going on in our society right now, that the blessing of God would rest on their businesses, that every partnership, every decision, every, um, every step that they need to make would be ordered of you, God, and your blessing would be upon every aspect. Father, we pray for increase, increase, increase in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap for that. Awesome. Hey, we're starting a new series today called Without a Doubt. And I don't know about you, but I have faced many doubts in my life. I think if you're a human being, I I would love to say, I would love to be up here and just say, I've never had, you know, I'm your pastor, and I've never had a doubt, and I'm a super spirit. That's not true. Not true at all. Matter of fact, I deal with it almost every Sunday. I ride up over this hill just praying that actually people are going to show up to church. And I pay a bunch of people to show up to church. Like, I'm not even sure if they're going to show up. I crest that hill, I'm thinking, Lord, let there be some cars. Let there be some cars. Not police cars, but just regular cars. I doubt. I mean we all have doubts. I think we all go through moments in our life where we're at the pinnacle of our faith. We're at that mountaintop experience. I know devil and hell can stop us. I mean, we know the word. We got the promise. We got God. We're like, yes, yes, bring it on. And then there's times where it's like, I don't know if I'm gonna ever make it again. I don't God, I don't know if I believe in you. Are you really there? Are you what's gonna happen to me, oh Lord? You know, we all go through that, don't we? You know Billy Graham went through doubts? I mean, the greatest evangelist of our era went through death. So I want to read something to you out of a book that he wrote called Just As I Am. He says, As the night wore on, my heart became heavily burdened. Could I trust the Bible? If I could not trust the Bible, I could not go on. I would have to leave pulpit evangelism. I was only 30 years of age. It was not too late to become a dairy farmer. Aren't you thankful that Billy Graham did not become a dairy farmer? But that night... I believed with all my heart that the God who had saved my soul would never let go of me. The exact wording of my prayer is beyond recall, but it must have sounded something like this. Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are many seeming contradictions. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer some of the philosophical and psychological questions. I was trying to be on the level with God. I think that's what doubt is. Doubt is being on the level with God. It he, He goes on to say, but something remained unspoken. At last, I love this part, the Holy Spirit freed me to say it. Father, I'm going to accept this as thy word by faith. I'm going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts, and I will believe this to be your inspired word. Aren't you thankful that Billy Graham, he even went and said, he said, my faith was under siege. And I think oftentimes that happens, not just biblically, but let's just talk about life for a second. Imagine, imagine what it, I mean, I, I, I go through this all the time. Why in the world do bad things happen to good people? I think we struggle with that. How about this one? This is even harder. How about when good things happen to bad people? Come on. You know some people like that. Don't point at them, but you know some people like that. I used to work with this guy. His name was Richard. We, I was in the insurance business before I started the church, and, and um, Richard was not a good guy. He, he was a womanizer. I think he'd been married at least four times. He, he was... Uh, he, he, he was a drinker. He was, in his, he was in like his mid-50s, early 60s. Smoked weed. Who smokes weed when they're in their mid-50s and early 60s? This was back in the, in the 80s, like 80s, 90s. I'm like, what are you doing, Richard? But the guy killed it everywhere. He was so successful. He made so much money. I would go home to my wife and I'd be like, honey, what are we doing wrong? Like, I am a follower of Jesus. I love you. You're my, I'm, I'm not fooling around. I'm doing everything right. We go through doubts because good things happen to bad people. The injustices of the world. I mean, human trafficking, hurricanes, those things that happen. How about when you're in the waiting room of God? We struggle like, you know, when you're just, and all of us, some of you today, you're in the waiting room. You, you, you're waiting for something to happen. We all have to deal with that. And the worst thing about waiting rooms is they never have good magazines. I mean, come on, doctors. Help us out a little bit and get, get us a little bit better than just Vogue 1983. So here's what I'm not going to do today. I'm not going to give you cheap answers to expensive questions. Okay, that's not what I'm going to do. I, I want to help you navigate this. I wish I had all the answers for you. I do not have all the answers. But I do know someone who does. And my job is to introduce you to that person, and his name is Jesus. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that's found in the book of James. James, I want to just give you a little history of who James was. James was a very interesting guy. He was the brother of Jesus. Now, the interesting thing about James, he was a pastor when he wrote this. He was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. However, he wasn't always a believer. He grew up with Jesus. You can imagine what it was like to grow up with Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah. We don't know if he really did any miracles up until he was 30. He didn't start his ministry until he was 30. Maybe he did. Maybe he started walking over puddles. Maybe you know, his mom, Mary, would say, hey, get some milk. And he'd go, mom, just check in the refrigerator. It's already there. You know, Stuff like that. We don't know. However, James was probably a chief skeptic. He was right there familiar with Jesus. He understood who he was. And he did not believe he was the Messiah. He did not believe until Jesus was raised from the dead. So it wasn't until after he was crucified, after he showed up to the disciples, was when James actually made a decision to become a follower of his brother, Jesus, which would have been very difficult. So he understood skepticism. He understood what doubt was all all about. And so he writes this book that I believe is deeply spiritual in in the book of James. Deeply spiritual, but it's also painfully practical. Very practical in nature. And I'm going to show you a verse. You know this verse if you've been around for any time. If you don't, this is going to mess you up. It will mess you up because this is not one of those verses that we like as Christians. It says, my brethren, so it means it's talking to believers. And if you're kind of kicking the tires of Christianity, this is also, also going to help you. It says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Okay, time out. If anybody's been through a test, if anybody's been through a trial, you understand it is not a joyful opportunity. You may be going through something right now in your marriage, in your finances, in your business, in your, in your job where you work, at your school. And the truth is, it ain't happy. Like, come on, God, count it all joy. Now, why should we count it all joy? Look at verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. In other words, the trial, follow me here, the trial is not meant to remove pleasure from your life. The trial is meant to mature your faith. And when we can understand as believers that the trial is meant to mature our faith, then we go, boom, God, you care more about me than just my pleasure, just my happiness. And because I'm going through this test, and listen to me very closely, church. Listen. God does test you. He does not tempt you, but he does test you. And the reason he tests us is because he wants to grow your faith. The problem, the circumstance, the challenge that you're going through right now is because God cares more about your faith than he does about your happiness. Now, he gives us an answer. He says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature, complete, and complete, lacking nothing. Then he tells us the answer on how to get this understanding. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, everybody shout wisdom. Wisdom. Say it one more time. Say "Wisdom." wisdom. So if you lack wisdom. Now, we all need wisdom. However, many times we quote this verse out of context because this wisdom is meant to understand the trials. So the wisdom, he says, we can ask for, he says, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And then he goes on to say, for let not a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now let's just talk about wisdom for a second. Because there's two kinds of wisdom, two kinds of wisdom. There's the wisdom that comes from the world, and there's the wisdom that comes from God. When Jesus, when God is asking, when God is telling us, when James is writing this, he's saying, listen, the wisdom that we should ask for from God that he will give liberally, he will give it as much as you want, so that you can understand the trials, that you can work through the doubt, the skepticism, the challenges with the promises that you're putting into play, In order to grow your faith. But there are two types. There's the wisdom that comes from the world and the wisdom that comes from God. Now, what's the difference? How can you tell the difference? Well, there's discernment that's required. And when you ask God, obviously, he's not going to give you worldly wisdom. So let me give you an example of what worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom would look like. Let's just say, for instance, you got a job offer today in the mail. You went to your mailbox and you got a job offer and it said, hey, if you move to such and such a city, I'm going to pay you another $30,000 a year to take this job. And you go, oh my gosh, that's got to be the Lord. Because, you know, obviously God is in me making more money. But you've got three kids, you've got a couple kids, you're married. Those kids are very involved in their, their activities. They got friends, they got relationships. You're very involved in your church, you're serving, you're making an impact, but the job offer says you can make another $30,000. So, so the world would say that to be successful, you need to make more money. So why not? Just pick up your family and move to another city. Just do it. Just go for it. doesn't matter what they think. It doesn't, I mean, it's got to be God. What if God's wisdom says that making more money is not necessarily the means to success? What if there's a different definition for success? What if success really means significance in the kingdom of God? So instead of picking up your family and moving to another city because you can make another $30,000, you decide to stay where you are because you value family above more money. And so you don't move. Now, I I know you're thinking, yeah, but that just doesn't make any sense. Sometimes godly wisdom doesn't make sense to your natural mind. And so it's not always the best thing just to follow money, which is what we do. Now, in order to understand doubt, we have to understand faith. So I want to build for you an understanding of what faith is. And the best chapter in the Bible, I find, to understand what faith is, is Hebrews chapter 11. That's your homework this week. We'll have a quiz next week. Um, it will be open book, and you can cheat off a Christian beside you. So <laughs> Hebrews chapter 11. Just take, take some time this week and read Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to quote one verse out of Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse 1. And uh, I, I, why don't we all say this together? You ready? One, two, three. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, God gives us a definition. Now, by the way, the chapter goes on to explain how that faith operates in the lives of people, everyday people like you and me, people like Abraham and and Isaac and, and Jacob and David and all these different people. He goes through the scriptures, and he shows how they dealt with their faith. Now, every single one of them, every single one of them dealt with doubts. Every single one of them went through a period of time where they struggled with understanding that God was really going to come through for them. But they always fell back into a lifestyle of faith. That's why they made it into the hall of faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 is. It's not the hall of fame. It's the hall of faith. And so what is faith? Well, let's let's dig into this verse because this verse tells us exactly what faith is. First, now faith is. Now faith is. Now, present tense. Faith is is never involved with the past. Faith is always present tense. It's always present looking forward. It learns from the past, but it doesn't ever dwell on the past. It never reverts. Faith never looks over its shoulder. Faith is always active. It's it's never passive. It's I want to give you just like a definition of what faith is. Faith is exercising my trust in God's word and God's power. Now notice, I was very, very specific in saying exercising. Because faith moves. Faith moves. It's never stagnant. It's never sitting still. It's never sitting down. We We may be still... We may be sitting down, but our faith is always reaching forward. When we pray, faith is active. Not when we wish, but when we pray. Faith prays. Faith speaks. It has a voice. Faith is how we exchange with heaven. It's the exchange rate we use with heaven. It's the vocabulary that heaven listens to. It's the language of heaven. Heaven only speaks the language of faith. Now, it's important to understand that faith is something that you that, that always receives as well. It's always receiving. It's wet, ready to receive. I have a hard time receiving, and a lot of people who are givers have a hard time receiving. But faith is expectant, it has an attitude of I'm ready to receive at a moment's notice. It's always moving towards God. It's always moving towards the promise. I'll never forget one particular friend of mine who didn't have a job. He had been at a job for about six or seven months. And I was like, so what are you doing to get a job? He goes, I'm just sitting by the phone waiting for God to call. And I'm like, bro, you're missing it. I said, you're going to be sitting there a long time. That's not faith. Faith goes out and gets a job. Faith doesn't sit by the phone waiting for somebody to call. Faith makes the call. Faith knocks down doors. Faith knocks on doors. Faith moves. Faith doesn't wait. Faith is never fickle. Faith has a direction. Now, notice the second part of it is it's the substance of things hoped for. The substance of things hoped for. Another way to say this It is the substance of hope. In other words, faith always stands under hope. Hope is the confident expectation of good. The opposite of hope would be fear. Fear is the confident expectation of bad. Fear always thinks of the negative. Fear, Fear is what we tend towards because of our sin nature. We are pessimistic because of Adam. Because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, we tend toward a pessimistic idea. That's that's our nature. That's our bend. We tend towards it. So you actually have to work to hope. Hope doesn't come natural for us as human beings. It comes natural for the Christian because God is a God of hope. Now, the important thing about hope is hope... Follow me here. Hope is not attached to an outcome. Hope is attached to a person, God. If your faith is in an outcome, you will be disappointed. And this is where many people struggle. Are you guys following me, all right? This is where many people struggle in their faith is they get disappointed because they put their faith in an outcome. They put their hope in an outcome. Then the outcome doesn't happen and they go, well, God, you don't love me anymore, If you put your faith not in something but in someone, if you put your hope in someone not in something, then you will never go wrong. Hope is the anchor of our soul, but that hope is not in something changing, a circumstance shifting, because God is a God of miracles. He can do things that will blow your mind. He doesn't operate according to the way we think. But if we focus all of our attention on a specific thing happening, he's going to pay for this this way. He's going to come through this person. This person's going to come into my life. I'm going to get this job. I'm going to marry this person. So this is going to happen over here. This is going to happen. This is all, it's all about what's going to happen as opposed to who he is. Yeah. And you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle. Our tendency is towards changing the circumstance. But put your faith in the one who can change it. And you'll never get disappointed. You say, well, what if he doesn't change it? That's not your problem. Maybe he doesn't need to change it. Maybe he's trying to change you. Uh Uh-oh. Maybe he's trying to change you. Maybe he's trying to work something out in you. Remember, count it all joy. Come on, smile at your neighbor. Say, hey. I'm all happy right now in Jesus' name by faith. (laughs) it's the evidence of things not seen okay now time out time out evidence 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 of things not seen how can something be evident but not seen well this is where faith comes into play faith is faith is present faith moves faith is active. It's not passive. Faith is the substance, the understanding, the standing under of hope. Hope is what fuels faith. Hope, the confident expectation of good. I believe God loves me. I believe God cares for me. So he has what's good in store for me. So I'm going to stay under hope. Hope is above me. Hope is above my faith. I'm drawing from hope. It's the evidence of things not seen. In other words, faith takes the place of what you can't see. That's what faith does. Faith steps into what you can't see. Now, this is important. I've said this before, that God's given you four four eyes. He's given you two eyes on your face so you can see. But he's also given you two eyes of your heart so you can have vision. The two eyes that you have here are different than the two eyes you have here. Follow me now. These two eyes will get you in trouble. These two eyes, when active by faith, and you can't really use these eyes without faith because vision only happens because of faith. So if we focus all of our attention with these two eyes on the front of my face, then I'm going to get disturbed very easily and get distracted because your faith is not determined by what you see but the vision that you have. Your faith is not determined by what you feel. Hello. Matter of fact, feelings will mess you up. Now, are there sometimes going to have feelings that connect with your faith? Absolutely. But don't ever use those as a way to direct your life. That's where we get in trouble in relationships. Hello. That's why we get in lots of trouble. Oh, he's so cute and I love him. I love him. Oh, he's got green eyes and nice little curly hair. And oh, Jesus, that just feels so good. But he ain't got a job. He's an entrepreneur, you know, which is another word for I ain't got a job. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Don't be looking at me with those those eyes like you don't know what I'm talking about because those feelings betray you. Feelings betray you. And so you got to be careful. So faith takes the place of what you don't see. It becomes the value that you have. It, it helps you. That's why, that's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. Another way to say this is we, we walk by vision. We have a vision. That's why the Bible tells us that without a vision, my people perish. Without a vision. So I want to see from here. I want to live my life with vision. I want to see with these eyes. If these go along, okay, great, that's fine. I'll, I'll be okay. But honestly, I want to be able to cover these up so I can see with what, the way that God's leading me by faith, by faith. By faith. Okay. Now that now that we understand that, let's talk about Abraham for a second because he's the father of our faith. The father of our faith. But Abraham, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes. He doubted a lot. I mean, think about think about the story of Abraham. Abraham hears this voice and says, Leave your country, leave your father, leave your family. And so he takes his wife Sarah and they leave. And they go to this land that they've never been to. God says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to pour blessings on you. You're going to be the father of many nations. He goes, time out, God. I'm 75. My wife is old. We're not allowed to talk about her age, but she's old too. And so he doubts so much that God's actually going to fulfill this promise that his wife comes up with an idea. Says, Hey. I got this servant girl, her name is Hagar. Now let me just stop right there, Hagar. No offense if your name is Hagar, but you know she's not a looker. I'm just saying, I mean when she was born, you don't just go, Hagar, like whoa. It's like it's like you know when you go into a, to visit a baby and the baby's not necessarily that cute at that particular time you know and you kind of walk in you go and then they go Hagar makes sense totally makes sense <laughs> don't be hating on me I'm just saying what you're thinking so she knows she's out of looker I know we make her up to be this something special but. The truth of the matter is Abraham doubted, Sarah doubted the promise of God, and they birthed an Ishmael. Doubt will always birth something that's not of God. Faith is what births an Isaac. Now, if you know the story, Abraham eventually got it. He finally got it, and there was a moment. There was a moment where he got it. There was a moment where everything clicked for him. And it was when he was in the tent, and God shows up this was 25 years afterwards, after the initial voice of God speaking to him, 25 years later. Now, that's a waiting room right there. Yeah. You can imagine the things that were going through his head. And so Abraham is there. He's, he's, he's in this tent, and he's confined. When Follow me here. When we feel like we are confined is the moment that doubts begin to arise. He's in a tent, and all he can see is the tent. All he can see is the walls of the tent, the ceiling. All he can see is what's going on inside around him. And then God says, hey, Abraham, come outside with me. And so he takes him outside, walks him outside, and he goes, look up to the sky. Now he has no walls around him. He has no ceiling above him. All he can see is the stars of the sky. And God says, that's how many kids you're going to have. Try to count it. And the Bible says this. The Bible says... And he believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness' sake. That was the shift for Abraham. That was the moment. That was when he became the father of our faith. And I love Romans 4 because it says, This is why the fulfillment of God's promise depends entirely, entirely, entirely on trusting God and his way. And then simply embracing him. Notice it doesn't say embracing the outcome. It says embracing him and what he does. God's promise arrives as pure gift. That's the only way everyone can be sure to get in on it. For Abraham is father of us all. He's the father of our faith. He is our faith father. Okay, so how do we understand doubt? Let's look look at this again. Because we understood faith. Got a good handle on faith. Now let's, let's get a handle on doubt. But let him ask of faith. Let's go back to James again, Pastor James. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he'll receive anything. When we doubt, we won't receive anything. The Bible calls us a double-minded man. The word doubt, it comes from the Latin word dubiter. Simply means two. Two. So doubt is being two-minded. Faith is being one-minded. Uh, JC, William, you guys come up here just for one, one second. I want, I want to use you all for a second for an example. I, I want to give you an, a, a show you something real quick on how, what doubt looks like, because this is important. Faith, faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt, okay? The opposite of faith, you're going to be unbelief. You're unbelief over You stand over here. Sorry. You're going to be faith. The opposite of faith is unbelief. Doubt lives in the middle. Dubiter, it's double. It means to be double-minded. Now, if I live by faith, okay, let's just say I'm I'm going through my life. If I live by faith, grab my hand, and lead me, just walk me around. So faith leads. Faith drives. Faith faith is moving. Faith speaks. Faith receives. Faith is, is pulling me around. Now, what happens is if I'm not careful, hold on to my hand, If I'm not careful and I begin to doubt my faith, then unbelief can come into the picture. And to be double-minded, now both of y'all try to lead me. So now I'm stuck in the middle. I'm stuck in the position where I don't know where to go. I become du suco. I I become too-souled, too-minded. I'm double-minded. I don't know if I should be with faith. I don't know if I should be unbelieved. I don't know which way to go. I'm stuck in the middle, and what that causes me to do is not move at all. And so we get stuck in our doubt. Are you following me? Give these guys a big hand. That's why it says that he's unstable in all his waves. He's like, he's he's tossed by the wind. A wave that's tossed around because it's just tossed back and forth. And it just sits still. And oftentimes we use doubt as an excuse not to move for God. Now doubt, listen to me, doubt is not necessarily questioning whether God exists or not. What doubt does is put put his character on trial. When we doubt, we're basically saying that, God, I don't believe who you are. I don't believe that you're good. Now, the difference between doubt and unbelief is very simple. Doubt is I can't believe. Unbelief is I won't believe. Doubt is honest and open, but unbelief is stubborn and hard-headed. Doubt is searching for light, unbelief is content with darkness. It's a big difference between the two. Now, if we navigate our doubts correctly and we understand them, doubts will either develop you or destroy you. Doubts aren't bad as long as we navigate and work through them. So we have to understand that our doubts can help us. They can, they can help develop us. They, can, they, they really show us where we are as believers and where we stand. But when we lean into if we go back towards the unbelief side and we become stubborn or hard-headed, then we can fall over on this side and lean towards unbelief, and it can become a trap for us. But we don't want to follow that way. And when we put God's character on trial then we can easily start trusting in other things. For example, if I doubt God is my provider, then I'll trust in money. Or I'll trust in my job. I'll trust in a promotion. If I doubt God is healer, then I'll trust in medicine. I'll trust in doctors. Nothing wrong with medicine. Nothing wrong with doctors. nothing wrong with money. But the truth is, is we want to trust in God. But when I doubt... I'm saying, God, I guess you're not good. And that happens. Look at me for a second. That happens when we look to him for an outcome as opposed to looking to him for who he is. If we put all the pressure on God for an outcome, I'm going to tell you right now, you will be disappointed. I've been disappointed. There are people that have been disappointed as a result of that. So our doubts will either develop or destroy you. There's also a good understanding that we understand doubts can be spiritual warfare. Oftentimes the enemy will try to seed doubt into your heart. We see this in the, in the book of Genesis with, uh, with the, the serpent. It says, now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? In other words, is God really telling you the truth? Is he really good? Because if he was good, he let you have anything you wanted. Look, he's trying to hold something back from you. He's trying to, look, look at this tree. It's good for food. It's beautiful to see. Why wouldn't God let you eat of this tree? He obviously doesn't want you to have something that's really good for you. And that's exactly what the enemy will do to seed into you doubt. How does he do it? Three different ways. Number one, he does it through offense. He seeds doubt. How? Doubting relationships. When you get offended, you no longer are genuine and vulnerable in future relationships. If you live offended, you become bitter, and now you never can benefit from the value of relationships that God gave us. So you have to decide: I'm gonna be unoffendable. I'm gonna live unoffendable. I'm not gonna be offended. I watch this happen. This is the, the, the chief killer of Christians in the church today is offense and he does it by saying well God's not good and they're not good now let's be honest there are some not good people but not everybody's like that and so if we trust God he can heal us of our hurt then we'll still be vulnerable in every relationship realizing he's the one that can take care of us secondly he does it through discouragement. I'm almost done This is when we doubt strength and confidence. Discouragement is a deficit of courage. It's a pulling away of courage. So now we doubt the strength that we have. We doubt the confidence that we have because of who we are in Christ. And so again, the enemy does this. How do we deal with this? We got to deal with it with discernment. Discernment. That's where the wisdom comes in. God, give me wisdom on discerning. Is this a doubt that's in me or is this a doubt that's coming from the enemy? The third way that he does it Is through compromise. I like to define compromise as calming the promise. Calming the promise. And this is when we doubt God's power for our life. We doubt the power of God for us. So in essence, just summing everything up, doubt is our frenemy. It's an enemy, but it also is our friend. And the best example I can give you is Thomas. Y'all know who Thomas is. He's Thomas the... Doubter. Everybody sees Thomas that way. But did you know Thomas helped us? He really did. He really helped us. Because he, he said, now let me just give you the story of what happened with him. Really quick. Thomas is not with the disciples. And Jesus, Jesus actually shows up to the, the disciples. Judas not included. And, and, said, and you know, prays with them, connects with them. Thomas isn't there, so the disciples come back, and they say, man, T, what's up? Man, you're not going to believe Jesus showed up. He was actually raised from the dead. And and Thomas goes, I don't believe it. Unless I see the nail prints in his hands, unless I reach into his side, unless I I actually experience in him, I'm not going to believe. So Jesus says, okay. See, here's the thing. God is not nervous about your doubt. So Jesus shows up. After eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them this time. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. He's not nervous. Your doubts don't make God nervous. And look at my hands, and reach your hand here, and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas didn't do it. Answered and said, Lord, my Lord, my God. He fell down and said, started worshiping him. Jesus said to him, and this is where it involves you and me. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed. Blessed are those who haven't seen me yet have believed. You know who he's talking about? Us. Because, check this out, because of Thomas's doubt... You and I have a blessing on our faith. You're blessed. So Paul says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And he tells Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of, say it with me, faith. faith. Stand up on your feet. Fight the good fight of faith. Now listen to me. You're going to have to fight for your faith. You really are. You're going ha- to you're gonna have to push hard for your faith. You're going to have to step out strong in your faith. You're going to have to fight for your family. You're going to have to fight for your job. You're going to have to fight for your values. You're going to have to fight. All that's going to require a fight. It's a battle. It's a challenge. Every morning, every day, every step of the way, every Sunday, every Monday, every time, it's easy to fight in here we got a lot of friends around us in here, but tomorrow you're going to wake up, you're going to get on the highway, and it's going to be a fight. You're going to show up to work tomorrow, it's going to be a fight. You're going to go out to the soccer field, and, and it's going to be a fight. You're going to go to dinner, it's going to be a fight. There's going to be a challenge. You're going to watch the news, and it's going to be a fight. But understand, you have been given victory. Amen. You can win this battle in Jesus' name. Amen. <UNKNOWNvic burger Authority Olivier: zusagen> Bow your head. Close your eyes. If you're here today, and maybe you've been in a fight for your soul. Maybe you've been in a position where you've never given your heart to Jesus. You've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And it's becoming a reality for you now. Like th- This is real. Now You may not understand everything. You may not get it all. And that's okay. That's where faith comes in. You take the step, God will meet you. You draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. That's what's so great about the Lord. That's what's so great about God. Is that He always is moving towards you. Every step you take towards Him, He'll step towards you. Maybe, maybe you knew God at one time, but you fell away from Him. Maybe you're watching online and the reason you're not here at church today is because you've been hurt and broken, beat up by church. Listen, I'm not asking you to join a church, I'm asking you to join a family, the family of God. I wish. That I could tell you when you join this family, it'll be easy and simple, but that's not true. I'd be lying to you to tell you you'll never go through another problem. But what I will tell you is that you will always have somebody right there with you to help you through that problem. Somebody you can call on in your sleepless nights. Someone you can draw from when you need a hug, when you need attention, when you need a friend. and The Bible tells us Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. and His desire is to come and save your soul. He's to, his desire is to come, not just give you an eternity, but give you a life full of promises and hope and confidence and strength and courage. That's the God that we serve. If you're here in this place or watching online and you say, I want that relationship. I want a relationship with God. I want to step into a relationship with God. I want to pray with you right now. I'm going to count the three. If you say that's me, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you. Ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand if you say that's me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Come on, raise it up so I can see it. Raise it up high so I can see it. Don't be afraid. Just come on. Just stand out for God. Thank you, Lord. If you're online, there's just, just, just right where you are, just, just cl- click that tab. Tell somebody in the chat box that you want to make this decision today. Keep that hand up. I'm going to wait just ten more seconds because I feel like there's one or two other people that you knew God at one time but you've been wrestling with that relationship. Just raise your hand up. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. If you raised your hand, you wanted to raise your hand, I want to pray with you. Church, join with them as they make this declaration. Say this with me. Everybody together. Say it strong, loud enough so you can hear with your own ears. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that his blood washes me of all my sins, all my mistakes. Today, I give my life to you. I'll follow you all the days of my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God a big hand clap. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel and join us for online services. If you'd like to learn more about Freedom House or how you can become part of our church, visit our website at freedomhouse.cc.